We are live via satellite here at Celebration Church. Welcome all of you here this morning, as well as those of you who are watching down in the cafe and all of you over in Stevens Point. Glad that you have joined with us for our service today. We would like to ask everybody at all the different campuses, as well as here, to stand to your feet. And uh, as we, as a group of believers, proclaim our faith as we recite together the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated, and indeed those are the things we do believe in. Good to be with all of you uh, this Sunday. Last Sunday, I was uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma at my brother Eddie's church. I owed him one. I've had him come up here quite a few times to preach for us and have been remiss in returning the favor. So he guilted me out, and I did. So, but uh, glad to be back here with you. We love being here. Um, uh, I, obviously, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get a chance to make a comment on the uh, fabulous event that we had had the Monday before with Pam Stenzel that we had for our young uh, men and women. Uh, it was really a, a great event. Now, we had uh, hoped for someone that uh, Monday asked how many people I thought were coming. I said, well, I hope we get a couple of hundred. That was my goal, to have a couple of hundred people. Our main emphasis, is, emphasis was just reaching our young people in our congregation, our young men and women, our young adults, uh, and to communicate to them some important things about uh, sexuality and then the risk of pr promiscuity and, and those sorts of things. Uh, but uh, when the doors opened, uh, we had quite the flood. We had 1,300 people who were part of the event here as well as over in Stevens Point, and uh, it was a, a fabulous, fabulous time. And uh, for those of you who missed it, uh, we are going to have a, uh, uh, an encore performance. We got it all on a video, and uh, uh, I need to schedule the time with our guys, uh, and so I'll announce it next week. But uh, we're going to have uh, a showing down at the uh, 180 as well as in Point. They can do it uh, with the video there. So if you miss that event, uh, we will announce it again when we're going to do an encore uh, presentation, and you can uh, experience it. You know, bring your young people to this and let them hear it. Or if you were here thinking, oh, man, I wish so-and-so would have been here. You know how that is, you know. Oh, I wish they could. Well, this is your chance. Make sure you get a hold of so-and-so, then bring them uh, so they can be part of this event and hear this. It was really fabulous, life-changing information. She was an incredible speaker. And uh, so we'll, we'll let you know about that uh, next Sunday. Um, but listen, it's, it's as important as it is for us to teach our young people the right way to approach life. Honestly, people, we need all the parents to make sure they're doing the right things at home as well. That does very little for us to spend the time and the energy that we do to teach young people the way to approach life. And then you as parents do things that are contradictory 
against those things or inconsistent and just flat out not wise. Let's be careful, okay? And, I, and I'm going to be uh, spending some more time here in, in the upcoming uh, uh, weeks and months uh, talking about parenting issues because clearly a lot of people need some help. But we need to do this stuff right and we need to be smart and intelligent. Now let me ask you guys a question this morning. How many of you married men and women? Take the next 90 days. Let's say for the next 90 days, you would be in the company of someone who is not your spouse for anywhere from an hour to four hours a day, all by yourselves for the next 90 days. How many think that would probably not be a good thing to do? Yeah, why? Don't you trust yourselves? Don't you trust yourselves when you're shaking your heads? Good, you shouldn't trust yourselves. I wouldn't trust myself, and I'm the pastor. 90 days, I wouldn't make a month for crying out loud. We don't do those things because it's not smart. Now, let me ask you a question. If you being an intelligent, mature adult would not put yourself in that scenario because you know it would lead to bad things, why do you put your kids in that scenario? Why do you do that? I mean, honestly, people, let's think it through. People, you let your teenagers date, extended, 90 days, nothing. Some of them have been dating six months, eight months, a year, two years. They're by themselves all the time, off in the room, doors closed for hours on end. What do you think they're doing in there? Praying? <laughs> Honestly, some people, I mean, I love you, I do, I do, but some of you are just dumb. <laughs> and it's just, you know, there's people like this all across our country. Honestly, I, they're just thick as bricks, and I just, I'm stunned. I was talking to a pastor uh, in a, uh, he was telling me about his family, and, and he has this young teenage daughter, and he showed me a picture. She's just this drop-dead gorgeous babe. And I said, wow, is she here this weekend? He said, nah, nah, she's with her boyfriend. They're, every Saturday they get together, and their door's closed in their room. They're doing homework for like six hours at a time. I could not begin to say the thoughts that were flashing through my mind at that man. How can you be so stupid and still breathe? <laughs> this is an adult man, a pastor in the church who lets his daughter stay behind closed doors in her bedroom with her boyfriend while they're doing homework six hours at a crack. I mean, someone should just beat him. Just, I just want to take his head and stick it in the toilet and flush it about five times. <laughs> How can you be possibly that stupid? Honestly. And he just, he had no, just, oh yeah, ha ha, they do it all the time. Oh, just, oh, they must really be good at school, ha ha. I thought, boy, this guy's going to be coming to me in a year or so saying, yeah, my daughter's pregnant. I don't know how it happened. Well, I got a clue. <laughs> Honestly, you wouldn't put yourself in those very same scenarios. Not an adult here, if you had any sense at all, would never put yourself in that scenario. But yeah, you put your kids in that scenario all the time. 
And I honestly don't understand it. At some point, it's like you, you remove a portion of your brain and you stick it in a box. And I think, why would they do that? And I'll tell you one of the reasons people do this is because they so want to be liked by their kids. They so want to be approved by their children and their children's friends. Listen to me this morning. It is not your place to be your kid's friend. Are you hearing me? If you are your teenager's best friend, that is a dysfunctional scenario and you need to stop it. The truth of the matter is, if you parent correctly, by all chances, they will not like you at all. I am tired of it. I don't want to hear my daughter's pregnant again. I don't want to hear my kids are having sex again. I'm shocked. How did that happen? You need to be responsible parents. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but hello, reality check. You have a responsibility. I know the, tempta the temptation is you quit parenting. That's what happens with these teenagers. Their parents quit parenting too soon. And I know the temptation. You know, you've been dealing with these kids all their lives. They can't live without you for five seconds. They finally get 12, 13 years of age. They finally, they can dress themselves and not poop their pants. <laughs> and you finally go, oh, thank God. They can finally start taking care of themselves. And you start backing off and giving them all the space. But don't quit parenting too soon. You hang in there until they leave, then what they do, hopefully you've trained them up well enough that they'll do the right things. But there are some of you, you create the most disastrous scenarios in your own homes while you are there with your kids, allowing them to spend hours upon hours and upon hours alone, just them and another person of the opposite sex. Something you wouldn't do to yourself in a million years because you're smarter than that but you're not smart enough to pass that on to your children. We never allow that to happen in our home with our kids until the day they left. There were strict rules of conduct and it's called just being smart. Let's be smart. I am finished. <laughs> Moving on to more spiritual things of the day. I want to read to you from Samuel 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. This is the story of King David. Actually, while he had been anointed king, he wasn't actually king yet. The scenario here is that David has been running from his, for his life from Saul, who's been persecuting him. And uh, uh, David actually winds up hanging out with the Philistines. The Philistines took him in, and, and he got along pretty well with them. And the Philistines are ready to go up to battle against Saul, and David wanted to go with him, but the Philistine other commanders didn't trust him. They... they questioned his loyalties so they they said no you, you you can't be involved in this battle we can't we can't have that question in the back of our minds whether or not you'll turn on us once we get into battle with Saul so uh he sent David and his men back home now David had with him uh, 600 men and these were quintessential manly men these were serious butt kickers these guys David and his 600 men was one of the most amazing fighting forces ever 
to live on this planet. It was an incredible thing. These guys would get themselves into scenarios. They would climb into battle when nobody in their right mind would. And they would succeed. I love reading one time how David, there were a bunch of enemy soldiers up on, on a cliff and they're throwing stuff down at him. And it was irritating David. So David and his guys climb up the cliff to go kill him. I want you to stop thinking of the scenario here. In any situation in combat, he who has the high ground triumphs. You always want the high ground especially in those days, because you're throwing things and shooting arrows and stuff. Now, you do it out this way, you've got to calculate because of gravity and stuff. When you are going straight down, huge advantage. Gravity is not changing the course of your projectile, your arrow, your sword, your spear. You've got the force of gravity working for you. When you've got the high ground, you're in great shape. You're in trouble when you've got the low ground. Here, David and his guys climb up the cliff while they're throwing stuff at him, trying to stop them. And they couldn't stop them. And he was so irritated, he climbs up the cliff and kills the whole lot of them. Whoa. These were serious men. They would love to torment their enemies. I wish I had time to tell some of the stories, read them in, 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 in the scriptures, but uh, there's, there's these stories of David and his mighty men. And just talking about some of the mighty men, how incredible they were. There's this one account where David and some of his men, a small troop of them, were egging on the enemy. And they're over there going, la, 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 you know, just, just teasing. They, these guys would get ticked off, about a thousand of them come charging at them. Well, David and all the guys, they split, you know, you know they were just egging them on. They go running, except for one guy who said, I'm not running. And he stood his ground, the Bible says. And this one man killed all 1,000 of these men. The Bible said that at the end of the battle, his hand was frozen to the sword. They had to pry his fingers off to get him off. That, that's a serious butt kicker. <laughs> and they had other stories. Of the, I mean, they were some of the toughest men to walk the face of this planet. David and his 600 men. David was quite the inspirational guy. and These guys loved following him. And even some of them did greater things than David. In these cases, I mean, here's a guy who he stays and fights. Where's David and everybody? They all took off. And this guy stayed and fought. And amazing thing. So anyway, David and his guys, we read it here, chapter 30 in 1 Samuel. It says, David and his men reached Ziklag. So the Philistines said, you know, you can't be in the battle. You got to go home. Ziklag is where they live. It's where all their kids and family and everything was at. And uh, they got there about on the third day. It says, now the Amalekites, who were enemies of David had raided the Negev desert, and in that was included Ziklag. And they had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Take the picture now. This men, this band of men, 600 men, come over the hill expecting to see their home. And as they cross, they see smoke rising in the distance. And they come rushing in and everything has been destroyed. The entire city consumed by fire, sacked by the Amalekites, and found no one. Their wives were gone. Their sons were gone. 
their daughters were gone. And these men were devastated. And look what the Bible says in the next verse. It says, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. These incredible men, this band of incredibly strong, confident men fell on their knees and started wailing and crying and screaming in heartbroken agony because everything they had loved had been taken from them. And they wept, grown men, and wept so intensely they wept until they had no more strength to weep anymore. A devastating setback, to say the least. Since David's two wives were in the group that had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and his wife Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And then an unexpected turn. His men start to blame David for what happened. You know, it's easy to shoot at the guy at the top. It's kind of a natural thing when things go south, when mistakes are made, when things don't flow the way you think they should flow. And these guys second-guessed it, thought, well, well you know, if, if, if he'd have made the right decision, we wouldn't be facing this right now. You know, at least he should have left a couple of hundred guys back or, or set some kind of a system that they could have sent a warning to us and we could have come and fought for our wives and our children. And this man who they loved passionately, who were willing to sacrifice anything for him at any time, when this happened, they wanted to kill him. And the Bible says David was greatly distressed, I'll bet. Greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him to death. Each one was bitter in spirit. Why? Because of his sons and his daughters. But I like this next verse. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David said to Abathar, he was the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought it to him. And David started to pray. He inquired of the Lord. And he said, and listen to this prayer. It's very interesting. Lord, should, should I go after those guys that did this? Or will I win if I, if I overtake them? Now stop and think about this. These were incredibly confident men. David never backed down from a challenge. Here he is as a teenager, comes to the battle to check things out, and here the Philistines are on one side, and there's a big gigantic guy named Goliath coming out, and every day they would line up, the Bible says, and Goliath would curse at him and taunt them. The Bible says that everybody was scared to death. Saul and all his men were scared to death. Nobody could take a step. David comes in and says, who is that big, ugly guy? Who is that guy? And well, that's Goliath. He says, well, somebody go kill him. He said, we're not going to go kill him. I'll go kill him. He was the only one. A lot of Bible scholars think he could have been as young as 16, maybe 17 years of age. And this guy goes out there 
with a slingshot. <laughs> when Goliath saw him, he was so ticked off. He said, are you kidding me? You're sending this punk? What am I, a dog? I will rip him to shreds. And he starts coming towards David. David goes, zap! Hits him in the head, knocks him on his butt. Bible says he took a sword and cut off his head. <laughs> Pretty gross. Holds up the big fat head. Well, everybody goes, yeah! And then those guys finally got some heart. And they chase after the Philistines and kick their butts. This is a man who is not afraid. He's the guy you're taunting me? I'll climb up there and kill you! It's exactly what he does. And now his wives his children, everything precious to them are gone. And now he's wondering, well, sh sh Lord, should I go after them? Will I, will I win if I go after them? Why would he pray a prayer like that? Because he was starting to be very affected by the negative criticisms. It's hard not to question yourself when everybody's pointing fingers. Like, what do you do? Why did you get us in this mess? How did you do that? You should have been smarter. We should have had somebody here. Look, everything is gone. We gotta kill him. And he starts doubting himself. But he prays. And God encourages him. He says, Will I overtake them? God said, Go get them. Pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So then David and his 600 men came with him to, Besor, to the Besor Ravine. They got that far, and some of them stayed behind because 200 men were too exhausted to cross over the ravine. I mean, these guys had already been on a three-day march. Just cried their eyes out to the point where they had no strength to cry loud. And suddenly they take off running after these guys. Well, about, they get to the ravine, 200 guys, they can barely breathe anymore. They can't do it. They can't go any further. They're tired. They're exhausted. So they left them there. David told them, you know, you can stay there and you know, just watch the stuff and watch the supply chain and stuff like that and, and we'll go on without you. So David and the 400 men continue the pursuit. Well, they're out there, they're looking around. I mean, they didn't exactly have satellites to help find where the enemy was at. <laughs> so they're trying to find him and they find this Egyptian guy. He's in a field and they brought him to David and they gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake pressed with figs and or pressed figs and two cakes of raisins and he ate and was revived for he hadn't eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights and David asked him who do you belong to where do you come from and he said well I'm an Egyptian I'm the slave of an Amalekite Amalekites sticking Amalekites we're looking for those guys I'll kill a whole lot of them so he says I'm an, I was a slave of Amalekite my master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago so right away he knew ah we have to be close see he said, well, we raided the Negev of the Kerathites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. No kidding. We're from those guys. So David asked them, can you lead me down to this raiding party? Can you show us where these guys are at? And the guy said, by this time it dawns on him who they are, and he says, well, just swear to me before God you will not kill me or hand me over to my master. And I'll take you down to them. So apparently, he must have sweared it because he leads David down. And they get down to where they're at, and there they are. The Bible says scattered over the countryside, and they're partying big time, eating, 
drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had just taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah where David was from. And here they are looking at this. There's only 400 of them now, okay? There were 600, there was only 400. And they crawl up and they see and they're spread out as far as they can see. There had to be thousands of them. But once they got him in their sights, then David and his 400 men attacks this huge group of men. And it says David fought them from dusk, which is just at sunset, until evening of the next day. In other words, they fought all night long, all the next morning, all the next day into the evening. Man, I can't even stay awake that long. These cats fought the whole time, just fighting in battle. And he kills the whole lot of them. Except for 400 guys, it says, 400 young guys. Teenagers hopped in the car and took off. (laughs) They hopped on the camels and said, we're out of here! David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else that had take, they had taken. They found everything. They got everything back. And David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. And then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Beso Ravine. And they came out to meet David and the people with him. Everybody's cheering. This is great. His men, David and his men approached. He greeted them. But now check out the next verse. This is fascinating. It says, but all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers. Evil men? Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? Evil men. These guys were just warriors. They should be getting the highest awards that anybody can get. 400 men slaughtered an army of thousands. Just routed the whole deal. One of the most amazing military victories in the history of mankind. You should give them praise and honor. They're great warriors and stuff. But the Bible says some of them are evil. Troublemakers. Why would the Bible refer to these guys in such a way? Because these guys start criticizing. And they said, they said because those guys, those 200 guys didn't go with us, we're not going to give them anything that we've recovered. They can take their wife and kids and they can go. But David said, no, no, no. You must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. These guys didn't want these others to be involved in what they had fought so hard for. It became critical of David's decision. I love what David says in the next verse. He says, who's going to listen to you anyway? (laughs) Shut up, you guys. And he makes this proclamation. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to battle. All will share alike. This is a phenomenal verse of scripture. Actually, it's the first verse that you will see in your next day of the 40 days to a more generous life. You'll read this verse. That's why we're talking about this this morning. The share of him who stayed in the supportive role will be the same as those who actually went to battle. What a phenomenal thing. You know what that says? It says that we as a congregation, what this church is doing and how we're growing and all the things that are happening isn't just because of me or Lathan or any intelligent thing that we pull off on our own. 
This is something that we're all doing together. And if God continues to bless us and we can stay the kind of people that will just want to keep putting Jesus first and honor him and love people, that someday on that judgment day when we stand before God and the Lord will say, who gets the credit for this? I'll say, all of us. Everybody gets a part of this. Even if your role is a little role, even if it's a tiny supportive role, even if it's just financial support, and you're in a situation where you don't, your life's in a situation where you, don't, you can't really volunteer for other things and stuff like that right now. We understand those sort of things. But all of us together, we all are in on this thing. We all share in what God is doing here. And it's been a wonderful thing. Now, it's really been kind of odd because a few days ago, I, I got some criticisms from some people who, just a small group of like four or five families who are just, they're all upset with what's going on in this church. Yeah, apparently it's quite horrible. The church has turned around. The place is packed out. We have to open up another venue in another side of town. People in Stevens Point is packed out over there. People are getting saved, experiencing God. Something really must be wrong. I mean, how horrible is this, right? This is all the signs of utter failure, is it not? I mean, I don't know what drugs these people smoke, but it's very odd. But they criticize. <laughs> you know, that's not right. This is not right. <laughs> just little pickers. They just <laughs> I, don't, I don't, don't appreciate the way some of these things are being done. You know what? Thank God that God's bigger than a bunch of little pick, 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 picks. Now, this church isn't about one guy. These people accuse me of being some kind of evil mastermind. That this church has turned around just because of the way I've thought things through. Not because of God, it's because of me. Well, first of all, I'm not that smart. <laughs> Ask my wife. mastermind. Good grief. We came in here. We don't know what we're doing. We still don't know what we're doing half the time. Lathan, what should we do? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know, man. I don't know. Let's pray. I don't know what's going on. Some big evil master for crying out loud. What we have here is just a wonderful group of people who've decided to set egos aside. It's not about us. We don't all have to look the same. We don't all have to think the same. We don't all have to be the same but we can join together as one family just with an overwhelming desire to put Jesus Christ first and let him get the glory and it's touching thousands of people's lives. Well, pastor, what do you, what do you, how do we respond to people who say bad things about us? Well, we already responded to that this morning when we stood together and we said, Father, Forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. That's the response that we have. <laughs> it was always, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. In the midst of victory, in the midst of great victory, I mean, how weird is that? The Bible refers to these guys as evil. I'm not saying these other people are evil. I'm just saying they're not in a good light. 
But in the midst of glorious victory and God doing incredible things, it's amazing to find. You could, I, man, heaven forbid we ever start doing bad. I'll probably stone us to death, man. Holy moly. But in the light, there are a lot of people torturing children this morning. But a lot of people. <laughs> Dial 1 800 abuse. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that down there, but. Uh, in the midst of God doing wonderful, wonderful things, it's amazing that there are those who, in the midst of all the victory, are picking and criticizing and knocking down. But I love it. It says that the Lord encouraged them. And the Lord encouraged David. You know, God has little ways of encouraging me. You know, they're not, may not be a whole lot to you, but they're little ways to me. I, I remember Friday uh, got this word that these people had said all these things and thought we were terrible and don't want to be part of our church anymore and and uh, uh you know of course putting it all at me is because i'm some kind of horrible person and right after i got that word holy cow what is this like a... all right we're gonna pause for a minute all the screaming babies please step outside it's not just there it's all over the place honestly if they're going nuts just send them out we're almost done Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So here I get this thing on Friday, and, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, why do people come against you like that? And just when you're thinking that would... <laughs> you know, it really doesn't bother me that we have little babies in here. It really doesn't. I don't freak out by that stuff. But when they get so loud, nobody can talk like me, can't talk. Then, then take them outside. It's cool. You know, to me, it's the sounds of life. I, I hope we have so many babies around here. We have this problem all the time, don't you? Man, just growing and stuff like that. We love babies. We really love them when they're quiet, but we love babies. <laughs> if, they, if they get really loud, just take them out. It'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be good. We will not think evil of you. But then, so anyway, I get this, let me do third try here. So, <laughs> so I get this thing, these people are all mad at me, don't want to be here anymore. They go, okay, well, what are you going to do? And, and, uh, and just a couple hours later, I get an email from Saddleback Church. You know who these people are? This is Rick Warren's church. He's the guy that just did that, that big first uh, uh, debate with the candidate, presidential candidates, one of the largest churches in the world. They sent me an email to tell me that Rick Warren's uh, daughter was having emergency uh, surgery. You might want to keep them in, in your prayers. Uh, and he can't be there for Sunday, so they're wanting to know if I could come and cover for Rick for today. Well, that didn't work out, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I'm a, you know, I'm a, apparently I can't be that evil, so anyway. It was just a way of God encouraging me, and, I, and, and God is encouraging us. Look, what we have here is wonderful. If, if you ever run into someone who at some point says, I just don't want to be part of that church, uh, just love them. Be kind. It's okay. We're not going to appeal to everybody, as shocking as that may be. You know, there's a lot of people who don't like me. I can't imagine why. Because <laughs> I think I'm fabulous. I love myself. But just people just don't like me. And it's okay. It's okay. It's a great big world out there. We have a great big God. 
it's all right. But what we do, we don't do as one man here. We're doing all together as a family. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and get ready to serve communion this morning. What we do, we're doing together as a family. We all do this. We're all part of and, and some of us have more dramatic roles. Some of us are the guys hitting the front lines and fighting the battles. And some might be sitting in more quiet, supportive roles, staying with the stuff in the ravine. But I want you to know something. We all share in the glory together. We all share in the reward together. This is a church not about of a man or a group of really conniving evil men. This is a church that is made up of people who want to hold hands together, even with people they may not even like half the time, but we hold hands together. And we say we're going to stand together in faith, and we're going to advance the cause of Christ, and we're going to set our egos aside, and our pettiness aside, and our little doctrinal differences aside, and say, who cares about that stuff? We just want to move forward with the love of God and advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what this place is about. And if anybody says anything and gets you upset or they get mean, just remember, walk in forgiveness, walk in grace. The reason we pray forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us is because people will sin against us. It always happens. It's normal. It'll happen from time to time, and our response always needs to be grace. We cut them slack. Cut everybody slack. Do you know I want to cut everybody slack? Even to the people that are mean to me, I want to just cut them all kinds of slack. Do you know why? Because when I stand before God, I'm going to need all the slack I can get. I don't know about you, man, but I, I need every bit of slack that I can muster when I stand before God. And if we've been merciful to those that even have been unmerciful to us, we can expect God to give us his mercy. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray that way. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer before we take communion this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching uh, on television this morning. Maybe, you know, you're on our campus over in Stevens Point or down in the cafe or sitting here in this place this morning. And the reality is you've never really become part of the family of God. You've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to pray a prayer together in just a second. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this with me. But if you will pray this prayer and mean this from the bottom of your heart, turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and turn to God asking for his forgiveness. You can walk out of here this morning clean, transformed, a new creature in Jesus Christ. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, that you loved me so much you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to pass out the communion this morning, wherever you're at this morning. Just all the ushers come forward.